0: Welcome to another edition of the Pre-Game Podcast.
1: Where for yet another week, Dan and I are here for your entertainment and enjoyment, uh, as long as you click the link.
0: Yes, it's kind of hard for us to entertain you if you don't listen to the show, so, you know... Good on you for doing it, doing the basic step one to to access our, our our free public entertainment to everyone else. But things we're talking about this week: why there are bright lights and starry eyes about the future of OKC, and also talking about some of the uh, well grim reaper sightings that we're seeing floating around. One quarterback, Tom Brady.
1: And the last piece of the show is we come at you with another obscure sport, and this one is uh, odd to say the least, Dan. Would you agree? I know that you weren't a fan. That's that's what I know. I definitely was not a fan, so no. yeah.
0: No, not a fan at all. Winners, losers time here in the pregame podcast. Kalen, who's your winner this week?
1: My winner is one that seems pretty obvious considering the uh, recent events that just wrapped up in the sports world. That being the uh, NBA championship and the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James for taking it home, wrapping up another season with a championship. And uh, yeah, it's uh pretty impressive to see considering I actually, I think the finals were impressive this year to see because both of those teams were not in the playoffs last year and this year they were in the finals. So that's pretty, pretty freaking amazing. If you ask me, Yeah,
0: yeah. Disappointing about not having the Miami Heat come home with the victory, but it is what it is. I know we put up something on our Instagram page over at pregame underscore pod, basically asking the question, does the fourth ring change the GOAT conversation when it comes to Michael Jordan, LeBron James? But that's a pretty big box for us to to unpack here in Winners-Losers, so we'll just stick to congratulating James for his victory in the championship.
1: Yep, well done. Well done, King James, and uh, that's my winner for the week. Dan! Who are you looking at this week as a winner?
0: My winner this week is uh, the fans of the English Premier League. That's who I'm brooding at for a winner. This past week, there wasn't a match week. It was a week off as we're getting into match week five this coming weekend. But so far, this season has been incredibly spicy, like mm-hmm. all all amounts of spicy. You know, the, For the longest time, the English Premier League has always had this thing about how there's a top four between Man City, Man United, Chelsea, and Liverpool. They're just a dominant set of four teams. They're always the top ones. It's similar to the top tier in something, say, like F1, right? where you have those top three teams. But this season, things are shaken up. They are spicy. <laughs> I mean, Liverpool is fifth on the table. Chelsea is seventh on the table. Man City is 14th on the table, and Man United is 16th on the table with three points. And those three points are the only thing separating it from relegation, at least at this moment. Obviously, very early in the season, of course, like I said, only having the fifth match day coming up this weekend. But still kind of crazy, and we're we're seeing other types of crazy results. We have, you know, Leeds United up in the top ten. We have Aston Villa second. Which, I mean, they've always been a solid, you know, top-table team, but they just won a match 7-2 to the other week, which is phenomenal for them. So
1: Yeah, it's dominant.
0: You know, and and you're seeing a lot of these mid-table teams, Newcastle, West Ham, Southampton, Crystal Palace, stuff like that. They're all sitting about where they should be, but they're a little higher because of teams like Man City and Man United heavily underperforming, especially considering the budgets of these teams and all that. So... I'm not going to linger on for too long. I think the English Premier League is having a really big shakeup this season, at least so far. And for that, at the very least, fans, I would expect to be a little grateful, it, well, unless you're a, you know, Man City, a Man U fan. But that is my winner for this week, and it is time to flip it over to the losers. Caitlin, who's your loser this week?
1: My loser for the week is a pitcher for the Astros. It is a uh, Granky for doing something that I thought was just hilarious. I think it was against the Rays. I think it was game one against the Rays. Granky shows the sign to the batter, and the batter then proceeds to hit a three run homer off of him on that very pitch. And I just I watched that video and went, wow, you're a moron to try and prove a point of ah the sign doesn't matter to then get a three run homer just hit out of the park on you. You're the ultimate loser right there. That's kind of that's That's, (laughs) it's embarrassing. That's another level, honestly. That's just another level. And I I don't really have much else to say about it other than that. Like that's that's just being dumb, you know? Like, just play baseball. Don't don't be out here to prove a point. Don't be out here to do anything like that. Just play baseball. How hard is it? You've been doing it so well that you're a pro pitcher. Like, you made the show. Like, just stop being an idiot. But anyway. That's my loser for the week. Dan, who is your loser for the week?
0: I really hate to say it, but the, the Cowboys took a pretty, pretty, they they won the week, but they took a pretty rough loss losing Dak Prescott for what is basically going to be the season. They're looking at a four to six month rehab on that ankle. From my understanding, it was a compound fracture dislocation of the ankle and the, the lower leg. So not good. He went in for surgery two days ago. As of when this podcast is coming out and yeah, hopefully a speedy recovery. It makes the whole contract situation all the more awkward because now what's going to happen? Is he going to get a long-term deal? Is it going to be with the Cowboys or the Cowboys going to have to quickly find another franchise quarterback at some point, you know, between yeah. this coming draft and some free agency moves like it throws a lot of questions in to the Cowboys. So despite the fact they took over control of the division again, uh, well, as a Cowboys fan. It is, uh, probably a tense couple of days at the office following that, uh, that Sunday afternoon win.
1: Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see what Jerry Jones does here. Very interesting.
0: Yeah. But they are my losers of the week. Unfortunately. As the NBA season is wrapping up, because, well, by the time you're listening to this, we will most likely have—actually, we will have an NBA champion, regardless of the outcome. For uh, sure. Yes, so we, we will probably have already been talking about what the total outcome was in the NBA championship, whether or not the Miami Heat managed to come back from being down 3-1, or 1-3, I should say. But in the meantime, I want to talk about, and I think you know we should talk about, the looming— potential dynasty that exists as we we look into you know who could be a dominant team of the 2020s at least in my mind i don't know if you agree or not Kalen. you might you might not but okay i think there's a case that the future is very very bright in the city of oklahoma city for the thunder
1: and that's what i want to talk about today that sounds good to me they're they're an interesting team at the moment um they're kind of in this This phase of acquire new talent and um, acquire superstar level talent as well, i.e. Chris Paul. So, yeah, this team's in an interesting phase at the moment. Yeah. So to break down where
0: they're currently at, if I could, this team has made the playoffs 10 of its past 11 seasons. That's a that's a pretty good consistent rate. What's, What's also been pretty consistent, at least under Billy Donovan as coach, is that they haven't gotten very far with those playoff runs each of the past four seasons. They've been bounced in the first round, and that doesn't matter if it's Russell Westbrook leading the team, Paul George leading the team, or in the case of this past season, Chris Paul leading the team. They've showed up, but they haven't done much once they got there in the playoffs, and... One of the other things that's kind of an interesting thing to look at here is the fact that they have a lot of draft capital. And that's part of the reason why I think their future is so bright. So if we look ahead, first off, the 2020 NBA draft is a little over a month away. It's coming up on November 18th. And for that draft, they have the Nuggets first rounder, their own first rounder, and obviously their own second rounder. Look even further into the future, 2021. They have their first rounder and second rounder along with the Heat's first rounder, which is unprotected. In 2022, they have their first and second rounder, um, although their second rounder could go to the 76ers in some crazy situation. But they also have the Clippers' first rounder that is unprotected. In 2023, they get the better first rounder between their own and the Clippers' plus the Heat's as long as the Heat isn't in the lottery that year. Again, along with their second rounder, potentially. And then in 2024, they have their first rounder, the Clippers first rounder that's unprotected, and uh the Grizzlies second rounder amongst their own things. And in 2025, they have the better brown between them and the Clippers. Basically, they also have the Clippers 2026 pick to go years into the future. They have a lot of the Clippers capital. They have a lot of the Heats capital. And that could potentially be very good for them as these years start to roll around.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely could be and it will be. Uh like I said, this is a team that they have this weird formula in see right? They grew a star in Russell Westbrook, right? They uh, mm-hmm. had him the whole way through. They grew a star in Kevin Durant, sold him off, which I mean Rightfully so to Kevin Durant, OKC wasn't winning or going to win with that team. Russell Westbrook, they traded him away. I, again, Russ wasn't getting it done, and in my opinion, he was he was it was too much Russ's team and not a team sport. They have Stephen Adams, who's been here for I don't even know how long he's been in <laughs> in OKC at this point. He's been in there <laughs> been there for a long time, most yeah. of his career, and then. Once you got rid of Russell Westbrook in that trade, you got Chris Paul out of the deal and a couple other pieces along with all of those draft picks, <laughs> not all of them, but a good portion of them as Dan mentioned. And yeah, I think they poised themselves pretty well because they were obviously in the playoffs this season. They were competitive, but not amazing. I think Chris Paul was a great move for this team because he, he meshes with, you know, guys like Dennis Schroeder and Gallinari and Steven Adams and, you know, all those guys, Diallo especially, great Mm -hmm. young talent there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Honestly, the standout young guy on the roster um, at the moment. But the other thing with this team is they have all those draft picks, right? Like they can continue to acquire young talent and just continue to keep developing, quote unquote, behind the scenes. I mean, they have, I don't want to say they're a win now team, no, I, not. I don't
0: think they are at all.
1: I, I think they are a conference final at best team. I think they can get that far, De- obviously depending on who they face and yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think they're a championship winning team besides that conference final. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think that they have the potential to do it in the next five years because they clearly do, especially if you can continue to retain Chris Paul and I mean, Steven Adams isn't the best center in the league, but I mean, he's a very good player, um, very tough defensive presence as well. And you need a big guy like that. And there aren't, as, as Dan and I went over in previous episodes, there aren't a lot of those really good centers for cheap. I mean, Steven Adams isn't cheap. His salary is uh, 25.8 million, um, almost 25.9. But still, he, he's, he's a guy you want to retain, I think. I don't know, man. I, uh, to be honest with you, I think Chris Paul is he's 35 now, but he's defying the age bug, if you will. He's got some years left in his career. I think you can really build around him. And I think you can build around the pieces you have now and acquire more players like Diallo and, you know, sell off maybe like Mike Muscala and Abel Nader. And, you know, you're probably going, who the hell's Abel Nader? But um exactly. just, bench, <laughs> just yeah, just a bench guy. Just a bench guy cheap bench guy uh you could sell off merlin's noel too but and as you do this acquire some of these pieces i mean i wouldn't want to trade chris paul right away if i was planning the rebuild or the quote-unquote make okc competitive plan but i probably would trade off chris paul in about three years four years maybe do you think that's then gonna you have be all too your late? pieces i mm-hmm. mean
0: i mean three or four years he's gonna be what 17 years in the season uh, he's going to be looking at the the ripe old age of what thirty four? Is it? Uh, he he's thirty five. Okay, so yeah, he, he would be he would be thirty four in in three years. Where are you getting thirty four from? Or I'm sorry, thirty eight. Did I say thirty four? You said thirty four. Yeah, I, was I meant thirty eight. I'm man. sorry. I no no no. no <laughs> I I said the wrong thing. <laughs> no, but but I'm just saying. You know, he's going to be thirty eight at that point. I don't know. Like, I don't really know if you could actually trade him for. I mean. If he's still being Chris Paul, then I mean, you know, go for it.
1: Well, of course, he's going to be I think Chris Paul is going to be like Dwayne Wade, right? He's going to be good until he quits. I -hmm. mean, Dwayne Wade wasn't uh, he Dwayne Wade wasn't the Dwayne Wade of, you know, when he carried Miami himself to a championship in the early 2000s. But he was still decent when he retired. Chris Paul is going to be decent his whole career. Like Kobe Bryant, when he retired, was decent his whole career. Rest in peace, Kobe. But anyway. I think you can still trade like there's still trade value An okay. old Chris Paul still has some trade value it's not gonna be what it is now or what OKC paid for him but that's fine I think they got into this understanding that he is a depreciating asset on the team it's like when you buy a new car the second you drive it off a lot it's depreciated you're one season in with Chris Paul he's depreciated a little bit now <laughs> um, oh, okay okay well let me ask you this then
0: okay There's a player that I actually want to point out as, you know, you talk about building around Chris Paul. I think a player that you haven't mentioned yet that I, you might actually, you know, as you transition away from Chris Paul, as you mentioned, is the player to build around is Shea Gildress Alexander.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's also one of the very, very good young talents. He's better than uh, Diallo in some aspects. Yeah, Um, I mean, he
0: had a, he had a breakout year after acquiring him from the Clippers. Part of the reason why <laughs> why they have all those draft picks was, you know, trades involving him. And, mm-hmm. I mean, he's averaged 19 points a game. He's led the team offensively. His percentages have been, like, totally fine. And with one year of experience under his belt, he's turned out to be a very valuable asset for the team. I think that, you know, especially since he is 21, he's going to be a, a, a big asset that you can build around going forward, especially with all that draft capital you're looking at. I'm not gonna say more so than Chris Paul because let's never doubt Chris Paul, but yeah, but I I would say like I, I'm not gonna disagree with you when you say build around Chris Paul because obviously Chris Paul is gonna be a key part of this team as you as, as you mentioned they're transitioning into like not a full rebuild because they're still like even this year they were competitive enough to make the playoffs, but yeah, it's kind of like re- a reload if you will.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's like some some pieces here you know don't fit you know like this puzzle piece doesn't fit with our strategy this puzzle piece doesn't fit with our strategy it's kind of just replacing puzzle pieces and making them work like honestly i say build around chris paul now but later on the line down the line i don't think it'll hurt you because you have dennis schroeder who's still pretty young and i mean that's a, that's an asset on the team who you can trade him and get good value for him or you can keep him and keep him as your two with uh with Chris Paul here for a while and when Chris Paul leaves or retires or you trade him away Dennis Schroeder can take over like he did in Atlanta so I see that as kind of I see that as a replacement already you know what I mean I mean and Schroeder's 27 26 right now so three years he's only going to be 30 at the at most, I can't remember what his age is off the top of my head. I know it's twenty six, twenty
0: seven. He's 26, at least during the course of the 2019-2020 season, he's 26. Yeah, but I, I feel like there's, I feel like a little bit of disrespect for Shea Gildris or Gilgis. excuse me. I feel I feel a little disrespect, but I mean, regardless, you know, you talk about transitioning Dennis Schroeder to taking that
1: Chris Paul spot, like that's still a powerful one too. Yeah, no, that's a very powerful one too. And I'm not saying ignore Shea Gilgis. All right, I'm I'm not saying ignore that. That's definitely the future offensive powerhouse of the team. However, I think the OKC play style and the way they operate, the offense has to flow through Chris Paul, right? Like he has to get touches in order for your offense to function the okay, way it's supposed okay. to. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm
0: just I'm just giving you a little flack because because Shay had a breakout year and you didn't say his name once. Okay, I just had to give you a little flack for
1: it. Sorry. Sorry, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the he was one of the pieces that I he, sometimes I, just, I honestly hadn't heard his name too much, but he quietly in my from my camp, I didn't hear his name too much yeah. this season, but he, um he obviously quietly went along and had a very good season for himself. To to give
0: you a recap, he was the starting two guard for them, averaged almost 35 minutes a game, made about 7 field goals on 14 and a half attempts, 19 points a game as I mentioned. Came down with uh, three and a half assists. Came down with six rebounds. You know, a steal, a block. You know, the steal and block are like one one per game is pretty standard for a, for yeah. a guard. But I mean, yeah, like he was he was the leading offensive power on the team, and at least compared to his his first season when he was um, out with the Clippers, you know, definitely a, a big evolution for him, taking the next step in his career. So I, I just want to put a little respect out there. Now, shifting gears to the Clippers, obviously some of the picks that I talked about are from the Heat. For example, the unprotected pick in the 2021 draft is from the Heat. They have a first rounder in the 2023 draft that's lottery protected from the Heat. But most of these picks are from the Clippers. For example, in 2022, an unprotected first round. The better pick in the first round between the two teams in 2023 and 2025 Unprotected first rounder 2024 and just straight up the first rounder 2026 as well. That's a lot of picks from the Clippers. If we look at the Clippers, I I don't know if you agree, but I see the potential that those picks, especially when you look at 2026, 2025, 2024, I think those could be very powerful picks, saying that if you look at the Clippers. You have a very strong team, but a team that's slowly aging in the wrong direction, and that are in win-now mode that could Mm -hmm. potentially, at that point in the future, be a team looking to rebuild.
1: Exactly. That's kind of what my criticism was of all the trades the Clippers did, was, okay, great, you're going to win now. However, you didn't win this season, so you didn't win now, and you don't have your picks to build the future back up. So, I mean, great. That's awesome for OKC, though, because they basically can go into the draft and pick whoever they want. I mean, if they have three guys that are going to go in the first round, they're going to they can get two of those three guys if they don't get scooped up. You know, it's very good to have multiple picks and multiple picks to choose from, which, again, great for OKC. Very bad for the Clippers.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the Clippers squad, some of their main starters, of course, you have Kawhi Leonard at 28, you know, not the worst situation in the world, but 28, you know, you're starting to, to you're you're getting to the question of exactly how is Kawhi gonna age. Patrick Beverly is 31, Paul George 29. It's not bad now, but 2024, 25, 26, it, it could look very different for a lot of uh for a lot of these people. I mean, it's not it's not all, you know, like mid to older players. Out there in Los Angeles with the Clippers, I mean, Zubak's only 22. Shamit's only 22. Um, Harkless is 26. And these are guys who are getting regular starts yes. and are playing a key role on the team. But th- there's a lot of people close to and on the wrong side of 30. And that's kind of something to be wary of.
1: No, it definitely is. And like I said before, trading away all those picks could bite you in the ass. But we'll see.
0: So is it is it crazy for me to say that... By the time we get to the 2024 draft, 2025, 2026, these could very easily be lottery picks for the Thunder. And this could all happen while the Thunder continue a current five-year streak Hmm. of making the playoffs.
1: I think lottery picks is a stretch.
0: Okay, you don't think the Clippers are going to be that bad?
1: I don't think the Clippers are going to be that bad. Okay. I think they're young talent. Is good enough to support an old Kawhi, an older Paul George. And that's if Kawhi stays around, if that's if Paul George yes. stays around. This is all contingent on, you know, them trading people, making deals, you know, do it doing the LA Clippers thing. And with that being said, in the current state of the team, if it stays this way for four years, first of all, I think they're gonna have a championship. Second of all What the Clippers I think
0: yes. Okay, okay. You said they're gonna win a championship, and I just have to clarify, you know, because cause I don't want I don't want you to come back and be like, aha, I called I called the Thunders championship and you know I'm able to charge you on it. Um but okay. <laughs> so so Clippers yeah. Championship, you think it's gonna happen?
1: Yeah, within the next four years, I mean we're talking 2024 here. I think they're gonna have a championship under their belt. I think right after that championship, they're not gonna do a fire sale, but they are gonna get rid of some pieces. What those pieces are to be determined. So when 2024 rolls around, I think that team is going to be in a post-championship slump, but I think they're going to be a playoff team still, which means that lottery pick that you're hypothetically saying could be a Thunder lottery pick is not going to be a lottery pick. because I think the Clippers will still be a playoff team.
0: I'm just saying that they made a lot of picks that didn't have any protections on them. So when that happens, it gets a little, you know, hairy sometimes. Yes, it Uh, can. Yeah, of, of course. I think the one last thing that I think we should talk about in terms of the Oklahoma City Thunder is the fact that after this season, they did decide to let Billy Donovan leave, and Billy Donovan now became the coach of the Chicago Bulls. I know I gave the Bulls a shout-out because I think Billy Donovan's a good fit there. So they haven't picked a new head coach yet. With that in mind and the future that you're seeing for them, do you see any head coaches out there that currently don't have a team? That you think would be a good fit here in Oklahoma City, Kalen. If you want me to spur your imagination, there are a couple of leading candidates I could give you, or potential options if you want to work through some of those. Ooh,
1: okay, hold on.
0: I'm I'm okay. assessing
1: my situation. Okay,
0: here. you're you're good. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. Sp- I
1: you spur huh? you spurred this question on me. Uh, out of the blue.
0: I I know. I was about to say, let me not steal your thunder. Although I feel like that that pun was, you know a little too on the nose for this conversation
1: yeah a little bit well i can tell you that one coach that stands out to me that's still on the market is Ty Lue. Mm-hmm. he's definitely one that sticks out to me another one that sticks out to me uh that is a good coach that uh, i feel sometimes just gets a bad rap is mike d'antoni Okay. I think he would be a. I think he at the th- actually D'Antoni at the Thunder would be my favorite pick of all coaches that are available on the market this season. Coaches to ignore are uh, Nate McMillan, Brett Brown, and uh, don't hire Alvin Gentry back, please.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's your assessment on potential coaching options for Oklahoma City. We'll see if they continue the playoff streak. They have the talent on the team to continue making it happen. So
1: yeah they'll continue to make it happen with the playoff runs i don't see them again winning a championship anytime soon but they have potential
0: yeah and of course when the season winds back up this december uh caitlin you know once in a while tune in and actually pay attention to to shay okay it's not all chris all right all right a little respect on shay's name all i'm asking
1: i i didn't disrespect him now did i You, you left his name out that is disrespect okay whatever
0: it took only until Thursday night for us to get really the big talking point of the week. Well, I'm not going to say entirely the big talking point of the week. We're actually recording this while Sunday football games are happening. So there, there might be something interesting that happens later on in the day for us today. But the thing that's be. that's kind of been sucking up all the headlines uh, for us, and honestly is a, a huge talking point, is the Thursday night game. It was between the Bears and the Buccaneers. Basically, this game was going to be the game of two questions. One, are the Bears a real team and do the Bears actually have it? And two, is Tom Brady still the elite playoff bound championship caliber quarterback that we have known him for, for pretty much the entirety of his career? And the main question is pretty much that Tom Brady one, because let's just say there was like an SNL level gaffe that happened at the end of that Thursday night football game. And it it's it's leaving a lot of questions about Tom Brady's mental. That's for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, that whole game for Tom Brady is uh, first of all, he's struggling with this new playbook in uh, Tampa Bay. If that isn't obvious for anyone to see, I don't know what is. He's thrown more picks in his career right now that that I've seen personally than any other point he's he's struggling man he's really struggling and i'm not surprised that nick Foles and the chicago bears were able to take him down i'm really not you know everyone's questioning how are the bears a real team are they not a real team i think they have had a pretty easy schedule so far i mean minus really tampa bay and i think we really shouldn't be questioning if the bears are a team i think now looking at this now that they beat tampa bay yeah the bears i mean obviously coming into the game we weren't really sure yeah i think the question should have more more or less been pointed at tampa bay though is tampa bay a real team because honestly really we didn't know if either of those teams was what they want to be or what they're trying to be coming into that thursday night football game i think the bears have legitimized themselves beating a half decent tampa bay team and tampa bay has just further hindered and hurt themselves including tom brady by losing to a team that everyone was kind of questioning their validity. So I don't know. I really think this playbook is just messing with Tom Brady's head and that he's probably not going to be any good at quarterback until like halfway through the season. So we got like four more games to go, five more games to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the questions coming into this were really basically Tampa Bay was three and one coming into this. You had the Bears that were three and one coming into this. And the problem was the talent that they were facing wasn't exactly the highest talent in the world. Tampa Bay had victories against the Panthers and against the injury-ridden Broncos. You can't really tell from that. You have the Chicago Bears going 3-0 between the Lions, the Giants, and the Falcons. Like Those, yeah. those aren't real competitive teams. So it really came down to this game. It was the first one on both their schedules, with maybe the exception of the New Orleans Saints Week 1 for Tampa Bay where they had some real true competition to them and that's kind of just why the question was out there but i'd have to agree with you that tom brady is definitely seeing some type of i'm not going to say like full on regression because it's not quite that but you've said his interception rate is pretty high it's so far this year it's a it's a 2% interception rate 2% of his passes end up being picked off compared to years bad. yeah well it's only bad when you compare it to how elite he has been in years past because Tom Brady is the quintessential pocket passer quarterback. When you talk about a pocket passer quarterback, you talk about Brady, you talk about Peyton Manning, you talk about Drew Brees. Those are kind of your quintessential examples. And Tom Brady has been very good with that. His 2% interception percentage on his passes, you have to go back to 2011 when he also for the entire season through 2% of his passes for interceptions to find something just as bad. Now, if you look at the early part of his career, 2001, 2002, through like the 2006, 2007 range, he had a lot of seasons above two. He even had a season at 3% in 2004. But that's I when he was- won a Super Bowl that year. <laughs> Ironically. Ironically. Yes, but like that's when he was younger and everything. In recent years, locked into a more elite boundary when all of his you know seasons were- in the ones or even below that 2010 he threw an interception a league leading 0.8% of the time in 2016 it was 0.5 so that that percentage has definitely gone up so it's something oh, yeah. to and it's something to notice and a part of it is what you talked about it's a new playbook this is the first time in his career that he has to learn a completely new playbook a completely new coach style a completely new everything So it's Mm -hmm. gonna have some quirks to it. Look, you can you
1: can teach an old dog new tricks, however, it's a lot harder.
0: (laughs) I I I guess that is the quote of the entire thing. How much it is like like do you think that's entirely where this is from? Do you think the not regression, because I'm not gonna say it's a complete regression, although it, it does look like he's a little behind where he would want to be passing yards wise and stuff like that compared to years past. But Do you think that that's the source of this, that it's just because of a new playbook? Or are we truly seeing the first drop off in Tom Brady?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think the new playbook is hindering him to mentally act as quick as he needs to. And I also think that his arm strength just isn't quite up to snuff, especially for this Tampa Bay offense that likes to go deep, because if you look at his numbers, for passes at 20 plus yards they're not good they are rough and that's not necessarily look and if you look at recent years the Patriots offense kind of has changed and evolved right when they were younger they took more deep ball chances and more heaves etc etc when he was younger yes Mm -hmm. yeah well I mean in general I, I say they in Belichick and Brady when you looked at it when Tom Brady left. It was a lot of slants, a lot of you know slot receiving, which is why Julian Edelman became the guy he is today. Not a lot of deep balls. They had the deep threats in like Mohamed Sanu and etc. Just to have them, and they really didn't use them that well. So I think he's he's transitioning from a medium pass offense to now a long ball offense with a little bit of medium pass and run thrown in there and it's an adjustment his arm may not be up to snuff who knows I mean only he does but observations show and statistics show that this might be a regression for him in the deep ball here I mean that's one thing that we've never seen out of Drew Brees is his deep ball has always been there and it forever will be, and I think that has to do with the fact that the Saints have always been a team that likes to take shots. They obviously are dynamic in offense. They're not just throwing deep balls every play, but you get my point. Every time that Drew Brees is asked to throw 130 yards downfield, he heaves it up there, and it's it's pretty on target, even at his old age, and that's just something that Tom Brady hasn't had to do for the last five years, six years, or whatever.
0: The more that I look at Tom Brady's 2019 numbers, the more I actually think that in general he is kind of recovering from that year cuz that year was really like one of his worst. Which which is crazy to say because it was still a very good year, above 60% pass completion, just over 4000 yards.
1: <laughs> and that's one of his worst.
0: Yeah, but like if you look at things like like quarterback rating and stuff like that, it slumps a little bit when you're looking at 2019. Tampa Bay, second-highest passing yards in the league right now, 11th-highest rushing yards. Again, part of this is due to the fact they're slightly inflated because you haven't had the entirety of Week 5 done yet at Mm -hmm. the point that we're recording this and looking at these numbers. So some of those numbers are inflated a little bit. But at the same time, I think there is just a level of maybe... I don't know if it's fatigue, if it's like a mental fogginess thing. I don't know if it's just losing that clutch ability a little bit. But to be honest, an embarrassment from both sides at the end of that game because the Bears gave way too much time to Tom Brady in the first place and gave him that window. He just couldn't succeed in that opportunity in the first place. I don't know if this is the entire end of Tom Brady. I don't know exactly what the reason is. You gave a lot of good examples of what it could be, but there seems to be some level of to some level, there is a corner that was turned that Tom Brady should have won that game. Like that's, he should have. That's, that's a game that we would expect a win out of. The Bears gave him the perfect opportunity, like 90 seconds, get in field goal range. Like
1: That's pretty straightforward, and
0: it just didn't happen.
1: And the other thing yeah. I want to mention about this is he doesn't seem locked in. He seems a bit scattered. Obviously, he didn't know it was fourth down. And that kind of worries me as well. If I'm Bruce Arians, I'm I'm a bit worried now. Like I wasn't really worried about Tom Brady. Like "Ah, I'll come around I'll come around. But now I'm kind of like that's one of those moments that makes you do a serious second guess because that's your guy leading your team on the field. He's leading the offense. It's his job to do that. And he just forgot what down it was in a Mm -hmm. critical moment of the game.
0: So to be fair, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has like a couple of like mental missteps in their lives, but this is a pretty critical one. I know like a lot of people are like, oh, this is kind of blown out of proportion a little bit, but eh, you know, at at another factor, it's like, it's kind of like rule one. Like you you should know the situation.
1: No. Yeah. I mean, if you're the quarterback of a team, it's your job to understand the scenario, understand the situation and lead the team accordingly. He clearly didn't. So I don't know what else to say about that. So in order to
0: kind of shake this storyline off and everything, what do you think the expectation for Tom Brady is in the near future and for the rest of the season? Does he have to go on a pretty significant win streak for us to to kind of forget about this gap? Or is he doomed to kind of be locked into this mental box that we put him in?
1: I think Tom Brady needs to take this moment of the media making fun of him and losing to Nick Foles again and get motivated. Like I said, he doesn't seem locked in. He needs to be motivated. He needs to have his fire fueled. Like One of the things that I learned watching the the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan was that that guy found a way to get pissed off at somebody about literally anything and everything. And that's what fueled his fire. And I would think Tom Brady is very similar. He finds an excuse to be competitive with someone. Now, granted, you would think Nick Foles beat him in the Super Bowl would have been enough of an excuse to come into Chicago and not forget what down it was with time on the clock still. But again, I think he has way too many distractions right now in learning this playbook, getting to know his new teammates, building relationships with his you know receivers, offensive line, you know, all this stuff. And honestly, it's hard to do when you're one of, if not statistically the best quarterback to ever play the game, and then you transfer teams to... Tampa Bay and some of those guys might not like you just because you're that good you know nobody likes the guy that's the all-time superstar great in some cases Uh, that goes with being fans and that goes with being players too you hate them because they're good and I think he's trying to overcome all these obstacles on top of being a general of the offense if you will and it's just a bit too much for him to balance at the moment so I think he needs some time like I said Middle of the season, probably we'll see the real Tom Brady back in action. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. But I don't, in order to get rid of this stigma, he needs to get locked in. Let's put it that way. In f- order for us to forget about this, he needs to be locked in, ready to go, and focused up. Cause right now, he just doesn't seem like it.
0: Yeah. And I'll say the rest of the year for him is it's not an easy schedule, it's not a hard schedule. The next opponent is in Green Bay. That's going to be really tough. They also have the Rams, which are looking like a a solid squad. They have the Chiefs later on in the year as well, plus the Saints again, if the Saints are, well, being a bit more like the, the Saints that we would typically know. But they also have, like, the Raiders, the Giants. They have another matchup against the Panthers. They have the Falcons twice on the back end of the season. So tough competitions, and there's some easy competitions, and we'll see if Tom can get back to facing the easy ones, being competitive in the tough ones and right. you know still looking for that playoff spot because their division has the potential to uh, to be theirs. I will say that they're currently on top of it. The Saints haven't been as tough as we all thought. So, they're still in control at least at the moment, but yep. we will see how that changes as the uh, the season progresses forward. Kalen, I have yet another obscure sport for you, and this one, well, I don't know if this one can top last week's sport. I I, I don't think I can top last week's sport ever. I don't know. I don't think so, pal. The West Coast Giant Pumpkin Regatta was a a winner in your eyes, but Uh. I'm certainly going to try my best to, to top such a great, great event.
1: Well, Dan, what is your feeble attempt to top the regatta?
0: My feeble attempt to top the uh, the regatta is a national sport of a great historic country in another part of the world, and that is Turkish oil wrestling.
1: Oh, okay.
0: It is a Turkish national sport. Uh, it is also known as Greece wrestling. But if you could take a guess, what what would you imagine oil wrestling to be?
1: I would imagine it being two dudes in a puddle of oil wrestling.
0: Well, the the name does not leave much to the imagination, huh? <laughs> N-
1: not really. I I mean, it's pretty it sounds pretty literal at least. And when I'm thinking oil, I'm thinking like a uh, Turkish drilled crude oil.
0: Well, that you'd be wrong. <laughs> okay. So I'm glad I'm wrong about that. Yes. So oil wrestling was a sport that originated Basically, thousands of years ago. But its its tradition in Turkish culture has been since like the 1300s. And what it is, is, as you mentioned, guys wrestling. But instead of wrestling in a pool of oil, as you uh, alluded to there. Instead, what they do is they douse themselves in oil before the match. And it's olive oil, to give you a better idea there. So, uh, slightly more flavorful and less, uh, well, crude um, <laughs> but
1: quite literally
0: yes so what the wrestlers would do is they would strip down to only wear what's called a kisbet or a kiss pet something to that uh, nature um there's a couple did, did you just sneeze basically that's what
1: <laughs> well, that's, good bless you
0: <laughs> but they dress down to a chris pet which is a pair of hand-stitched leather trousers So they're wearing essentially like it's kind of like something like between shorts and capris in a way. So
1: so like their skin is slippery and then they put on a slippery piece of clothing because when you put olive oil on leather, it's it's slippery.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So there's Uh, just one giant slippery ball.
0: Yes. Traditionally, it was made out of water buffalo hide. But modern days, you could use calf skin, whatever type of of, you know, leather you really want to at this point. Um, I want
1: water buffalo leather pants. That sounds cool. (laughs) Well,
0: I'll know how cool you think the rest of this is going to be. Basically, the way that you win in an oil wrestling match is you want to achieve what's called Paka Kazik, which is the effective hold of the Kizbit. So (laughs) the way that you do this, because the pants are covered in oil. I'm sorry. What? What what did I say? (laughs)
1: You just sound like you're having a stroke every time you try to say <laughs> one of those.
0: <laughs> That's all. It's it's called a uh, paka kazik kazik yeah kazik. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, a paka kazik, which is effective hold of the kismet, as I as I mentioned earlier. Okay, the, these are actual Turkish terms. I'm not having I know, a stroke. I know. I okay, know. I do not smell toast. Okay, I don't need the what was it called this the standard um what what is the. Uh, last or something the the acronym that is like the how to tell oh, if someone's yeah. having a stroke or whatever. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not having any of that, okay? It's it's the Turkish terms of oil wrestling. <laughs> where was I? Yes. So you win by effectively holding the Kisbit. So you you're probably wondering, Caitlin, how do you effectively hold a pair of leather pants covered in olive oil? You don't. Well, there is a way to do it and basically it's to get your arm through the pants. Wait, what? So, your goal, and if you watch some Turkish wrestling, you will notice it's kind of weird, the wrestlers are trying to get their hands down the leather pants of their opponent, because if they can get them down into the pants and th- out one of the leg holes, that is an effective hold. That's the only way you can hold on to people effectively, is to kind of get your arm through the the entirety of the leather pants.
1: Or just Turned me off completely now. <laughs> like, I wasn't really vibing with it before, but now that nah, that's a big that's a big 10. No, there, Captain,
0: or are, are, <laughs> a big 10. No, are you telling me that lubing yourself up with olive oil and then trying to get your hand down another person's pants is not an attractive sport to you?
1: No, no. I, I'm i surprised it's uh, it's a. Th- well, it's another culture. I'm not surprised it's a thing. However, um, no. <laughs> I'm not not into that.
0: Well, here's a question for you. How so obviously if you've seen like high school wrestling here in America or other types of wrestling at the Olympics or stuff like that, there are time limits to the rounds. Could you take a guess for me how long a round lasts in Turkish oil wrestling?
1: How about an hour? Just an arbitrary hour.
0: An hour. Well, that's actually better than I thought. I thought you were going to guess like you know something like 10 minutes or whatever. Depending on exactly what type of category you're competing in, it could be anywhere from 15 minutes to 40 minutes. Oh, wow. So 40 minutes of you and another oiled-up guy just trying to grapple each other while having zero traction on any part of your body. It, just trying to put our
1: hands down each other's pants.
0: It... <sighs> I hate for you to say it that way, but that's basically how it is.
1: Literally, that's the sport. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) That is the sport. Like, it is wrestling, and I'm sure there are, like, certain takedowns and other things that they utilize that, you know, you can do while slippery. However, the main goal is to get down that other dude's pants and all the way out the other side. Well, here's the other thing that I thought of, right? Yeah, what? People's arms aren't necessarily, like, People's arms aren't necessarily that long. So, like, what happens when they go down in there and then, like, your pants start falling off? Like, do they wear anything underneath that? Or is it just like, here's my junk?
0: I <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you, you got to remember that, like, Turkey is very close and has a lot of cultural relations to Greece, which is where you had like the original Greco-Roman like nude wrestling things back in you know true in your in your ancient times. So I don't know if like that's really a concern or not. I,
1: <laughs> I, I I don't know their culture well enough to to know if that's a actual concern or if everyone's just cool seeing everyone else's junk.
0: I I don't know. Technically, they're like half in Europe, so you know you got the whole European thing about being you know cool about that kind of stuff or whatever. But. True. Yeah, it's, this kind of the way it is. Uh, oddly enough, there is kind of an origin story about what took this sport from a casual pastime to a national tradition. And it happened way back in about 1362, I believe. That, well, that was the first year that they held the Kirkpinar Games, which is held in Kirkpinar, Turkey, where hundreds of people come out to compete in oil wrestling every single year. But what it traced back to was it traced back to two Ottoman soldiers. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Ottoman Empire, I yes, don't Yes. Okay. Much. So, you, so your history is up to snuff. Very good. So, Ottoman Indeed. Ottoman Empire from you know all the way back in the 12 1300s to World War One. Pretty much, they were Turkey before Turkey, and it was two Ottoman Empire soldiers that decided to have a oil wrestling competition with no time limit. And they died because both of them were wrestling each other for like an entire day straight and died of exhaustion. What? And ever since then, that's why they were holding these tournaments in their honor.
1: What? (laughs) That just sounds like two dudes were bored as hell on the front line, just like, oh, we got nothing to do in camp today hey, let's go steal some cooking oil from the kitchen and then lather ourselves in it and go to the courtyard and wrestle. And then they died from it because neither one of them wanted to concede. I mean, I guess.
0: What the heck? I don't know, man. I am am just giving you the information that has been set forth in front of me about how wrestling in olive oil has become a national sport in an actual country in the world.
1: That origin story is... As wacky, if not wackier than the sport itself. Uh,
0: it's it's up there. It certainly is up there. It certainly now, wait, is an obscure wh- one.
1: Was was the rule established then at that point as well that they had to go down each other's pants in order to, to finish the game, I, finish the match?
0: I don't know where the origin of the uh, paka kazik came from. I don't know like where. I don't know why that became the objective. It might be because that was the only effective way to control your opponent, because the goal is to have an effective control of your opponent. But when you're oiled up, there's very limited ways to do that.
1: I'm just asking because, like, then those two dudes not only were, like, being interesting about, hey, let's go wrestle covered in oil, but they were also being interesting because they were trying to get in each other's pants on top of that. I mean,
0: don't don't kink shame. We don't
1: kink shame on this show. I'm not kink shaming. (laughs) I'm just finding this very interesting and how this, how this occurred. And I'm not, this is not me being homophobic either. Folks. I'll put, I will throw that out there. I just find it very weird to base a whole sport around getting down another human beings pants. I would think this, I would think this was weird if it was a woman and a man and weird. If it was two women, I I'd find it weird all around. Trust me.
0: All right. Well, now that you have your, your politically correct bases covered, it was the 1300s it was a different time okay you don't, you just don't know no i'm am kidding um <laughs> but yeah no this i i cannot give you any more information than what i have okay and what i have is that at some point in the 1300s two ottoman soldiers decided to oil wrestle to the death literally and ever since then there has been a annual tournament held in kirkpinar which is a city in Turkey where these soldiers have believed to have been buried and it attracts hundreds of people every year. And the only way to win is to have effective hold of your opponent's kishbit or leather pants. And the pretty much the only way to do that is to get your hand in the pants. Wild. That is Turkish oil wrestling. Now, this is wild. I will say that Turkish oil wrestling has started to become popular in in two other countries that aren't even in the area of Turkey. Oh, um, I'm very
1: intrigued now.
0: I want you to take a guess where you believe oil wrestling has picked up in popularity. One of which I see a very nice comparison to a current sport of theirs that I'm like, okay, I see it. I get it. But the other one, I have no clue.
1: I kind of want to say India.
0: Okay. That's a good guess. That's and- a good guess.
1: And I want to say, I want to say somewhere in like Southeast Asia. So like, for some reason, Indonesia comes to mind. I would say India is kind of in, well, it's kind of in Southeast Asia. It's not entirely, but. Well, that not really.
0: Yeah. You kind of had the right idea for one of them, but the countries are Japan, which Japan. is understandable because I see this as very sumo wrestling like in yes. a way. So, I could see the argument to that being, like, effective, and that being a popular sport in Japan. The other one I'm completely confused about, the Netherlands. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, maybe because Viking history? I I, I don't know. Are there, but, are, but they're
0: Turkish! What do they have to do with yeah, the Vikings?
1: But, well, here's the th- thing. Maybe, like, Vikings did something similar? In the past possibly I don't know further research is required
0: uh, Yeah further research is required But my instinctually I would say that If you're trying to tie it to Vikings That the Scandinavian Countries of Denmark, Norway, Sweden And Finland would probably pop up Before before the Netherlands
1: <laughs> I mean true
0: but you Like you can't even say like The Netherlands is a really popular olive oil Place because that would be like Greece or Italy You know or yep. or something like that. Like, you know, some Mediterranean country like that. The Netherlands isn't even anywhere near the Mediterranean in a well, like in a in a general term. In a what cultural just term. Some,
1: some Turks went up there and uh took it with and then it kind of caught hold. I don't know. I, I that's an interesting one.
0: See, there's a there's a lot of countries, there's a lot of cultures in between the Netherlands and Turkey for it to skip over <laughs> before it, it before it gets to You know, the floodplains of Holland. Well, Um, maybe
1: some Turks were just like, yeah, we're going to go move to Holland. And then they they decided to bring it with. Like, one of them was a prominent oil wrestler. I, I... I don't know, dude. I am hypothesizing. That's all. All
0: right. Well, now that you have, you know, completely given all your disclaimers and everything about this sport, I'm taking a wild guess that you are out on the act of oil wrestling.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, no. If... You won't catch me doing this. If the
0: scoring system was more traditional, like high school wrestling, and everyone was co- covered in olive oil and the goal was still to, like, pin your opponent or, like, get back points and stuff like that, would you participate? Is it just the hand down the pants that is turning you away from the sport?
1: I think that's the biggest turnaway. However, the olive oil thing is also just not fun and gross. So
0: what I'm hearing is that there's no aspect of the sport that you like.
1: No, I don't enjoy any of this in any way shape or form.
0: This is a this is a big old zero for you.
1: Well, is this is this a sport you would participate in, Dan?
0: Uh, no. no not necessarily, no. I don't think so. I don't want to okay. I don't want to say completely no. I mean, to be fair, like I've had like parties like when school's out where, you know, there's a slip and slide set up and like, you know, boys would be boys and, like, tackle each other and stuff on the slip and slide, so that's, like... Why
1: are you bringing up a slip and slide? That's totally different! How is that different? You're covered in oil, you're covered in soap! What's the difference? What do you... I'm sorry, but slip and slide, you're, like, going down the hill. You're not, like, physically wrestling, you're you no, can tackle somebody. No, no, but you do the go thing, down a slip and
0: slide. You do the thing where one person runs down the slip and slide and the someone follows them down with the objective of completely destroying them at the bottom of the hill. You're telling me that's right. never happened to you in your
1: life? No, because I'd turn around and like cuss people out for doing stuff like that to me. <laughs> I didn't tolerate that. <laughs> I was like, we'll have none of this,
0: please. Oh, please. that was the best part. The best part was was me just completely plowing into people.
1: Uh huh. And then in I, the return, I'd be pl- the, the big bowling ball that you are.
0: You act like I, I also like had people slide into me on a slip and slide. Okay, it wasn't like it was an entire like one way bullying excursion.
1: I'm not saying that in any way, shape, we or have, form.
0: I don't know. We've gotten way off topic. Either way, it's not anywhere near my first choice, and I don't think it's in my top ten for obscure sports we've done on the show. If that is fair. Yeah. If I can, yeah. if I could stake that claim.
1: This is down there with the uh, the Afghan sport of running around with the dead goat. Oh
0: yes, I forget the name of it, but I <laughs> yes I do too. The um oh it's like polo but with a dead goat.
1: A dead goat, yeah.
0: Yeah, this this isn't exactly top pick. We'll say that no. And now time for predictions here on the pregame podcast, Kalen. What would you like to predict for the upcoming week in sports?
1: Dan, this isn't necessarily a this week prediction, but I'm going to go out on a limb since we are in the championship series of both the AL and NL for the MLB. I am looking at the Tampa Bay Rays to win the World Series. I'm calling it right now. Wow.
0: Okay. All right. That's honestly, look at the four teams that are left. Okay. I'm thinking back uh-huh. to the prediction segment that Ian and I did Before the shortened baseball season, and I did say the Dodgers win in seven. You did. I did say the Dodgers win in seven, but you can't deny that the Rays are looking really good. They have a lot of young talent that has progressively bloomed throughout the years and are really starting to like, honestly, it's the it's even if they don't win, it's the opening of a very solid window for them uh, as a franchise. So
1: it's it's definitely definitely a good moment for the Rays and to be a Rays fan. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's a pretty good pick. I'm going to, I mean, you know, I already dug my hole and, and made my grave, if you will, with the Dodgers. So we'll find out <laughs> whether or not that comes true.
1: They look really good. They're 2-0, up 2-0 on the Strohs. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's my prediction. Dan, what are you seeing in your crystal ball of sports for the week?
0: Is it bad that I just... I, I I I am reeling so much in the fact that Sunday was such a bad day between the Heat losing and no longer getting the jerseys, the Cowboys issue. Like I don't even I don't even know what to predict. I that my fantasy team is gonna take a nosedive now that I no longer have Dak Prescott at the helm. Can I predict that? I mean, that's pretty accurate. I I don't know. Matt Ryan's my backup. Matt Ryan's not even that good. My prediction is that I'm going to have to dig myself out of a weird fantasy situation and I will have to give updates about whether or not uh, it <laughs> is successful. Is that mm-hmm. is that fair? <laughs> uh, I, we're going to roll with it. That's fine. I don't I I I'm in such a distraught state that there there is no future. OK, the future is dead. <laughs>
1: there is now. There is just there,
0: now. there is there is now. And there is there is the void ahead. That's that is my prediction. <laughs> That's not
1: saddening at all.
0: Oh, my God. Mm, I watched it happen live. It was so disappointing. So gruesome. Uh, well, that's the podcast. Uh-
1: <laughs> yeah, on a somber note, that's it.
0: <laughs> Listen, okay. I wasn't you're going to probably fight me on this, but I was like, what if we did like a 21 a gun salute for Dak Prescott? Hell no. Yeah, exactly. See, you weren't going to allow that.
1: No, I wouldn't even ask you to do it for Carson Wentz. So get out of here.
0: All right. OK, Jeez. Well, Don't
1: need no cowboy fan pity.
0: Well, before we end up literally clawing at each other's throats, how about we just wrap up the show? Is that a good idea for you? That sounds like a plan to me, man. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. But if you want to keep on uh, in, or at least in touch with what's going on during the rest of the week, make sure to follow us on our social media feeds, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at pregame underscore pod for everything else that's going on there. Also, if you have any ideas for the show, questions, comments, discussion, anything you want to talk about on the show, make sure to hit us up on our mailbag, the pregame mailbag at gmail.com. And that covers all of our bases. So we will knock in this grand slam and get out of here. My name is Dan Zaleski. My name is Kaelin Wolfskill. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill. Theme music by High On You, a Ruby Media production.
1: Yeah, man, so uh I talked to my mom today about the uh, pumpkin regatta. Yes, the pumpkin regatta. And uh she was like, yeah, I'm totally down because she listened. I didn't even talk to her like actually talked to her. She listened to the episode and then I just talked to her to call her today and she was like, oh yeah, the pumpkin thing? Totally in. I was like, oh. Totally in on the pumpkin thing. Does this include the
0: sitting on the shore, drinking, day drinking with me while we watch you try to not drown yourself in the middle of a lake in Oregon?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. She was like, yeah, I'd love to just sit there and day drink with Dan. Yeah. Perfect. That
0: is is perfect. Let me tell you that right now. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let, let me let me do a little research here. Okay, so it's the sixteenth next year, and that means if we book a flight for that time, flights are like two fifty if we book it this far out in advance. Okay, not bad, not bad. That's
1: pretty good. That's pretty good to fly across the country there.
0: I think uh, I think you need to go uh, secure your uh, your spot in the regatta.
1: Yeah, I gotta do my research. See what all I gotta do to get in. <laughs> I mean.
0: I, I really want this to happen like i know we've joked about haha we're going to go do this sport we're going to go do that sport but the pumpkin regatta really has got to be the one
1: it's got to be it has to be
0: uh, it really should be the one
1: i'll look into it i'll okay. see i'll see how i can secure a uh orange flotation device
0: yes and if you don't look into it i will uh Well, you'll do it for me. Well, (laughs) I was going to say my entry for I was thinking more along the lines of I'll I'll gather the power of uh, of our listenership to uh, to shame you into doing it like guilting you into doing it. Ah, so, uh, you know,
1: that's even worse.
0: I know our listenership is powerful. You you are listener. You have power. Remember that.